Let me ask you a question tonight. I'll start with asking a question. Are you content? Would you characterize your life, your heart, your mind as being content? Have you learned how to be content in your life? Let me ask it this way. Have you learned the secret of contentment? We live in a society, in a culture, that for many, many years has lived by this motto. And I remember when I first heard this, I believe it was an advertisement that said, grab all the gusto that you can, right? Remember that? Demand everything that you have coming to you. And we are bombarded throughout the day with messages from media telling us all the things that we need or that we should think that we need, (laughs) things that are going to fulfill our desires, things that are going to fill up our lives, things that supposedly, if we have them, would make us complete. We're We're constantly reminded of what we don't have and what we could have. We compare our situation to the, well, it looks like greener grass on the other lawn on the other side of the street, and we compare. Our house is nice, but our friends have a bigger house. Our car runs, but our friends have a nicer car, a newer car. It's got that new car smell. You know that smell? You can actually buy it in a spray. We live in a world that always seeks the better and the new and improved. And for this reason, we have this battle in our lives. We have this struggle with being discontented. And the fact of the matter is that many people live lives of complete discontent, complete discontentment. And this is a huge problem. It's a huge problem in our minds, in our spirits, and it's a huge problem for the person that wants to live a joy-filled life with the joy of the Lord. It causes dysfunction in the way people live their lives. It causes people to go out and do things that perhaps they wouldn't normally do, like taking on all kinds of debt in their lives to to keep up with the Joneses, to supposedly have the life that they're supposed to have. And we live a discontented life. Benjamin Franklin once said this, content makes Poor men, rich. Discontentment makes rich men poor. The problem is that we content ourselves with whatever, and it only lasts for a short time, and we're right back to being discontented. We get the new car, and just, you know, it doesn't take long for that one to wear out, and then, you know, we need another one. We get a house, and maybe, you know, it doesn't take long for, you know, you get the new house with supposedly the latest upgrades, and then a couple years later, you walk in, uh, you see the TV shows, or the, you know, you walk into the, the model, and it's like, oh, there's a whole new series of upgrades, and I didn't get those. And, and so it's still a problem, this problem of discontent. What's the answer? What's the answer to the problem? What is the secret to contentment? The Apostle Paul continues in his letter here to exhort the church in Philippi, and as we have studied, Paul commended himself 
as an example of a genuine believer in Christ. He has commended himself as a genuine Christian and someone that should be followed. Uh, and, and he has commended his life to the Philippians and to us as he has written this letter. He's asked that we follow his examples. And as we've studied in chapters three and four, Paul has outlined some principles for every Christian to follow and emulate. They are important principles and a part of being a mature follower of Christ. Tonight, Paul tells us, he's gonna tell the Philippian church and us tonight a secret, the secret of contentment. And Paul is, is, is going to teach us this. Paul learned an important lesson and the secret to spiritual success. Paul tells the Philippians that he had learned how to be content with little and how to be content when things were flourishing. The secret of contentment is one that every Christian should know. And I, I believe that this principle will greatly impact your life from your youth all the way into your old age. And so this is something that we need to learn. The secret of contentment is one that every Christian should know. So what is it? What is the secret of contentment? How can you be content in your life? The Apostle Paul gives us, well, we've got two points tonight. We've boiled it down to just two, two points. And the first one is this. You, you must be thankful. And the second one, is this, you must learn contentment. So let's take a look at this in verse 10 of Philippians 4. The first point is this, be thankful. Paul said, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. The first step in being content and living a contented life in Christ is this, it's to be thankful, to be thankful. As Christians, we should be very thankful people. In fact, I believe that we should be the most thankful people that are on the face of the earth. I mean, if, if you could run into anybody thank, more thankful, then we should feel like, whoa, whoa. How, how can anybody be more thankful than us? We've got the most to be thankful for. I mean, we've, we've been blessed with everything. On top of that, every spiritual blessing and life in Christ and freedom from our sins and unshackled from the sting of death on top of everything else that we have in our lives. And so for the Christian, we should be the most thankful people on the earth. If we're going to be content, then we have to be thankful. We must have a thankful heart and a thankful attitude. And this is something that we have to learn how to, to operate in as a general rule. You know, we just had Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving Day, but every day is Thanksgiving Day. Every moment is Thanksgiving moment for the Christian because it's an attitude, it's, it's a disposition of our lives as Christians that we're thankful. Paul tells the Philippians here in verse 10 that he rejoiced in the Lord when he had received their support. What was this? The Philippian church had sent some financial support. They had sent some material support to Paul. Paul was an apostle and he preached the gospel in all these different places. And because that, there, there was the, this, the principle from the law and whatever that those that ministered the gospel would be taken care of from the gospel. In fact, Paul argues this whole 
case in, in uh, there's a whole chapter in Corinthians where he makes the, the, the case for the minister being taken care of, uh, the one who ministers uh, from that standpoint, even though he had taken a position in some places that he refused to, to receive any material uh, gifts from the people because he wanted to make sure that, he under, that they understood his motive of wanting to freely preach the gospel to them. But the Philippian church had sent some financial support and it was probably Epaphroditus. You will remember from our study in chapter two, Epaphroditus was that one that Paul described as a fellow worker. Remember that, that word synergos? We introduced that word synergos and Epaphroditus was a synergos, a fellow worker. Uh, and, and it was probably Epaphroditus who delivered the support. The Philippian church was a church that supported the work of the Lord. And Paul was telling the Philippians, that he rejoiced in the Lord upon receiving their support. And then he says, you know, look at it, verse 10, he says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care has, uh, for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. So he alludes to this lack of opportunity for the Philippians to support him financially or at least materially um, in taking care of his, of his need. Uh, it seems that they, you know, that they just, well, maybe they lacked the, the opportunity because they were unaware of the particular need that Paul had at that time, or maybe they just lacked the opportunity. It was they just didn't have uh, someone to deliver it. They didn't have a way of getting it to him. Of course, you know, Paul is writing this letter from, from Rome, from a Roman jail. And so Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord upon receiving uh, the gift from you guys. He rejoiced in the Lord. This tells me that Paul was thankful. Paul rejoiced in the Lord upon receiving the, the, whatever it was that the Philippian church had given him. Again, Paul was not living in a desirable situation. Paul was in prison. He, in, in, in that sense, you could say, you know, if you looked at it just from a material standpoint, he was, you know, he was existing, you know. But Paul never looked at it like that. If he was alive to live in earlier in this, in this uh, book, what did he say? He said to live is Christ, right? To live is Christ and to die is gain. And so whether I'm here it's Christ, and if I go on, if I, if, I, if I die, then I go on to be with the Lord. And, um, and so that was his outlook. So Paul was thankful. Paul had learned the important lesson that we all need to learn. The first step toward being content is thankfulness. Why? Why is thankfulness the first step toward being content? That's, I think that's a good question. Thankfulness keeps our focus on God, amen? If you're a thankful person, then your focus will continually be upon the Lord. If you're readily giving, vocalizing thanks and praise to the Lord on a day-to-day -day basis, on a moment-by-moment -moment basis, when you have a free moment and you see something, you're reminded of something, thank, thank you, Lord, for that. Or even in, just, even in your mind, thanking the Lord for what he's blessed you with. It keeps your focus on God. And we know that everything good in our lives is from God. And so we should constantly be, if we understand those two points, we should constantly be, be having our focus on the Lord. 
We shouldn't have to, if it's a struggle for you to get your focus upon the Lord, then you've got to just come back to a couple basic points. <laughs> a couple basic points, and that's one, this one, that everything that's good in your life is from God. And so when you look at every good thing in your life, it should bring your focus back to God and so that you become thankful, and that thankfulness is going to produce a contentment in your life. The verse that I'm referring to is James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no shadow of turning. So we need to remember that everything we have is from God, and so we need to be thankful. We need to thank God. Thankful, thankfulness first keeps our focus on God. Secondly, thankfulness keeps our focus off of what we don't have. Thankfulness keeps us from a coveting spirit, a covetous spirit. We need to count our blessings. We need to rejoice in the Lord because of the goodness that he's put in our lives. And thanking God and counting our blessings, all of which are from God, when we're doing that, we're not thinking about all the stuff that we don't have. If that's kind of the focus of our lives, and we're thanking God, and we have a thankful heart, we have a thankful disposition, we have a thankful attitude, it's, 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 it's more of a thing for our, our mind and our focus to, to be distracted away from that and, and, and put on what we don't have. So we, we aren't thinking about what we don't have. We, we, are, we aren't thinking of, of what we perhaps want. Now, there is a... There is a uh, a commandment of the ten, the ten commandments, that 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 helps us with this a little bit, and well, it exposes <laughs> our heart really on this point, and it's the it's the tenth commandment: "Thou shalt not covet." Right, and the idea of coveting is looking at something else that someone else has and wanting it for yourself. And it's kind of looking with longing eyes at, at someone else's thing and saying, well, well I want that. It, it, it's not really saying, you know, I, I need this or I need that. It's literally, you know, putting yourself in that constant comparison, that constant looking and wanting what someone else has. And if, if your mind is consumed with a covetous attitude, a covetous mind, it's probably because you need to step up the thankfulness, amen? And if, you don't, if you're not thankful, you need to really take a look at what good you have in your life and the salvation that you have. And so it's just kind of, it all cascades downward and, 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 and brings you into that right living, so to speak. So the 10th commandment uh, forbids an individual to covet what belongs to another, Unlike all the other commands, it addresses inner feelings and thoughts such as envy or greed. If the Israelites were to enjoy a harmonious covenant relationship with God, every aspect of their lives must conform to their will. And this particular commandment was one that truly would, this is the commandment that really got Paul. If you read Romans, Read, read the letter of Romans. And basically, Paul comes to the point where he's talking about the law and it, and it, and it bringing sin to light and whatever. It was, the, it was this commandment, thou shalt not covet, that, that he realized, 
I can think I've been perfect in my actions, but the attitude of my heart condemns me. Because when I come to this 10th commandment, this thing deals with things that are going on on the inside of me. And so that's why this is so important. We need to be thankful. And when we're thankful, we're generally not coveting. When we're thankful, we're generally not coveting. Thanksgiving Day comes once a year, but every day should be Thanksgiving for the Christian. And so we need to be, we need to be thankful. And this is the first point in, in living a, content, a contented life, learning the secret of contentment. Now, the second point tonight is we need to learn contentment. We need to learn it. Let's look back at verse 11 of Philippians 4. It says this, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The second step toward contentment is learning contentment. Now, in another place, in another epistle, Paul told Timothy, in 1 Timothy 6.6, he said this, Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. What a great verse. And here is the charge. If you want great gain in your life, seek those two things in your life. Godliness and contentment. Godliness and contentment, you can't go wrong. Paul says, godliness and contentment are great gain. Do you want some great gain? Amen? Do you want some great gain? I don't think anybody would answer no to that question. Okay, then great. Godliness and contentment. <laughs> there you go. That's the trick. That's the secret. Learn godliness and learn contentment. Like most things, contentment, contentment is one of those things that you must learn. We're not just born, you know, natural born contented people. In fact, it's kind of the opposite. And, and so we, it's something that we have to learn. We're, we're, we're not good at being content. We're great at being discontent. We're just professional discontenters. You know, and we need to learn how to be content. And Paul learned to be content. And this is what he tells us in verse 11 there. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. The Greek word for learned there in verse 11 uh, is a word that means to increase one's knowledge, to learn by use and practice. And so it's, it's this idea of learning, increasing knowledge and practicing something, being regular at it. Probably kind of something like learning music, right? <laughs> if you're going to play music, you're going to get up here on stage and play music and it's going to sound good. That's something that you have to kind of learn. And you learn that through kind of a regular 
It's, what do they, what do they call it? The mu music teachers, it's called practice, 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 right? And anybody who's ever taught music can tell when the student shows up and they haven't practiced, right? This is a nightmare. Actually, actually, I, I, I hope this is okay if I tell this. But anyways, I showed up at the house one day this week and Mary Jo was teaching her lessons. And, and it was like, you know, the relative that had come and dropped off the student, uh, you know, she'd said, you know, I can't even sit in there. He didn't practice this week. <laughs> you know, she, she couldn't even listen to it. So anyways, but you can tell. When there's no practice, it's kind of like there's, the learning isn't kind of happening. And so you have to learn contentment. You have to practice it. It has to be something that's a part of your life. Uh, is, Paul had learned in both extremes. There was, there was two different extremes where he learned contentment. Look at it, verse uh, 11 he says, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. Verse 12, I know how to be abased and I know how to, be ab to abound. So he says, whatever state I'm in, I've learned. You know, wherever I am, this, I've learned. And you learn to be content. Now, I have learned to be content in Virginia, Illinois, New York, and Florida. Whatever state I'm in, no, this isn't what he's talking about. He's not talking about those kinds of states. He's kind of talking about the states of, of, of having little or having a lot, feeling like there's lack and feeling like there's just an abundance. And, and he's, he's, he's looking at these two extremes that he's, he's experienced and he's uh, learned in and he's practiced uh, contentment in those situations. And he says, I've learned in whatever state I'm in to be content, whether I have an abundance or whether I'm just um, in a situation where it's not there. Now, there is something to be said about being content, you know, geographically too, you know, uh, but that's, that's, another, that's another talk. So Paul says, Paul tells us, he says, I know how to be abased. Look at that, verse 12. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Abased and abounding. I know how to be abased. I know what it's like to have, a, have, have very little and still be content. The word for abased is the word, anybody know what it means? <laughs> the word in the Greek actually means to make low, to bring low, to literally to be brought low, to be abased, to, 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 to reduce to a plane to bring into a humble condition, to, to re reduce to meaner cir circumstances, to assign a lower rank or place to. It carries the idea with it of being humbled. Paul, Jesus humbled himself. We learned about that in chapter two of Philippians. Paul's saying, I, I know what it's like to be abased. I know what it's like to be brought low. I mean, you gotta think, you gotta remember, Paul was an, a Pharisee. He, he had a good career ahead of him as a Pharisee, you know? That was a good, it was a good job. It's a good career, good government job, you know? <laughs> you know, good, good government job, lots of time off, all the holidays, you know? Good, 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 good you know, good situation. You get one of those good government jobs, you hold on to it, amen? You hold on to it. 
But Paul says, I know what it's like, I, I know what it's like to be abased. I know what it's like to be brought low. Whatever the case, Paul learned how to be content in a humbled state. He learned how to be content while having very little. Now, this is a tough lesson. It's very hard. And here's the question. Are you learning to be content in whatever state you're in? If you're in a state of learning this lesson, you know that there are things that cause you to be discontent. There are things in life that, that, that kind of bring it to the forefront. And part of learning in whatever state you are to be content is learning those, those triggers, those things that might trigger discontent. Paul talks about knowing how to be abased. And then he says, I know how to abound. I know how to abound. To abound in the Greek was to overflow. To be abased was to be brought low. To abound was to overflow. Paul knew how to abound. He knew how to overflow. Now, I think a lot of people think that it's very hard to learn how to have very little and be content. In fact, if I were to ask tonight for a show of hands, and, and here was the question, do you think it's harder to learn contentment in a state of being abased or abounding? Uh, my guess is that most people would say, well, yeah, just to, to, to have very little, to be abased, to be brought low, to just have very little, that's got to be the toughest thing. I actually think it's the, it, it could be the opposite. Because when you don't have much, I mean, I, I went to, um, we, back in uh, a few years ago, when our church over in Orlando, we took a team down to Peru, and we went into this this area about an hour outside of Lima, Peru, and it was, uh, it was a place called Puente Piedra, Puente Piedra, and it was a place where um, you and I, you know, it, it, by our standards, this was, um, this was uh, you know, abject poverty. I mean, this is, you know, dirt floors, um, you know, two by fours with, you know, pieces of metal with, you know, there's the sky and there's the house. In fact, you know, one of the things we did, the, we did the children's service uh, there on Sunday afternoon, and um, I, I had noticed this little girl had this little baby brother, and, and uh, you know, they kept on going in and out of the service, I think like six times during the service. And I, I came over to the pastor we were working with. I said, is, 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 uh, is, is, is the little guy okay? You know, they, they were just going in and out of the service the whole time. And they said, oh, his sister just takes him to the bathroom because they don't have a bathroom in their house. Okay, so this is a situation where, uh, by our standards, uh, it, it, would, it would be, you know, unacceptable, right? But people have found, and studies have actually been done, that people in these areas are, are, more, are actually more content than in affluent areas. And so I think it's, it's harder to learn contentment in a state of abounding. And, and so we've gotta learn. We've gotta learn how to be content. Now you may look at your life here in America and you think, well, I, 
I'm being abased. <laughs> you, like, up until I brought this all up, you were like, I'm being abased. I'm being abased. I've been brought low, you know. I haven't gotten, you know, you're like, uh, who was it? Lucy, you know. I haven't got what I've got coming to me, you know, or whatever it was. No, no, that was, um, who was that? Peppermint Patty? No, no, that was, uh, who was that? Sally, Sally, Sally. She shakes the can and she says, I haven't got what I got coming to me, right? And so maybe you felt like that. But now that I've told that story about Peru, you think, well, maybe, maybe I am abounding. And I'm here to tell you that by the world standards, you're abounding. And so if you're struggling to find contentment, you're struggling in this abounding state. Now, there's relative states of abounding, right? <laughs> uh, so we've got to learn. We've got to learn, and, uh, and, and it's a process that we have to learn how to be content. So what is the, here's the question tonight. What is the secret of being content? And really, why is it a secret? <laughs> why, why is it a secret? Uh, look down at verse 12. Uh, Paul says this. He says, I know how to be a base, and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now, in verse 12, the New King James reads, which I just read, everywhere in all, and in all things I have learned. The King James reads this way, everywhere and in all things I am instructed. If you have the NIV, does anyone have that? No? If you have the NIV, it is translated, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. So what is this word? Because the translators of the NIV chose, in the translation process, they chose to use the word secret. I have learned the secret of being content in, every, in any and every situation. The word there translated secret or instructed or learned is, is from an expression used in the pagan mystery cults to describe the initiations of new members. To get into these, these pagan mystery cults, there, there were initiation processes. Um, and so they had to go through these initiations. And, and the initiations were rarely easy, easy. And they were difficult. They were hard. So Paul uses this word to describe his initiation by his experience into living a, a victorious Christian life in whatever situation that he was finding himself in. I, I'm being initiated into learning how to be abased, to be brought low. I'm being initiated in, I'm being instructed in, I'm learning how to, to abound, to overflow, and to still be content, to still be thankful, to still have my focus upon God, and to realize that I'm being blessed. And so the question is, are you, are you learning? Are, are, you, are you learning this secret? Are you, are you being instructed by the Holy Spirit, or, or are you just kind of just, we're just going through life, and we're just, it, it, it's, it's, it's a reminder to, 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 to be thankful, to learn contentment in every situation. Paul's initiation was filled with joys as well as difficulties. Sometimes he, he says some, he was well, sometimes he was well fed and sometimes he was hungry. 
He experienced times of being well taken care of and times of being in need. You know, I don't know what you can compare it to, but let me just combine the analogies here. Perhaps like boot camp. Like a boot camp. Like, you know, you, you think of, you, anybody been in boot camp? Anybody been in the military army? Yeah, okay, so you could tell us all about it, right? Boot camp, all right? I've, 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 I've been told that it's pretty strenuous. You know, I've never seen it with my own eyes. I've only seen it portrayed perhaps in movies. And what I see as it's portrayed in movies is a bunch of guys, you know, slopping around in the mud and trying to climb walls and ropes and doing push-ups and all kinds of stuff, carrying all kinds of army, you know, paraphernalia on their back and doing like 26-mile runs or whatever it is. It's difficult. It's tough. It's, it's, It's a boot camp. It's a training ground to train that person to be a member of the military so that when they get out of that boot camp, they've they've gone through this instruction process, this initiation process. And I I would bet, if you talk to any military person, how proud they felt when they graduated from boot camp, when they looked you in the eye and said, congratulations, you made it through boot camp. Oh, wow, I didn't think I'd make it. (laughs) I didn't think I'd make it, but you made it. We're in a boot camp, as it were, learning, being instructed to rely on the Lord, to be content, to give thanks, to have our focus upon God, to be content, to learn how to be brought low, to learn how to abound in our lives, so that that there's this kind of of calm, there's this even-keeledness about us spiritually. There's there's something about us that, that we can't be thrown around, that we can't be tossed around. That, that, that there's this kind of maturity that has settled in to us. The sad thing is that many Christians miss out on going on into the deeper things of God because they refuse to learn the basic lessons that we're talking about tonight. God can't take you on the deeper adventures, adventures of following him because you're still in boot camp. Well, I'm, I want to. I want to get out on there. I want to get to my deployment. I want to get out there on the ship. I want to sail the seven seas. I want to see. I want to see New Zealand. You know. I want to go to Australia. I remember my my cousin was in the navy. He called me one time from Hong Kong. He said, "Jerk, I'm in Hong Kong." You know what I mean? But you're still in boot camp. You're not in Hong Kong. So what was the secret that Paul learned? Paul learned that he could be content through Jesus Christ who gave him strength. Look at it, verse 13. I can do all things through through Christ who gives me strength. Now, this verse is a famous verse, right? And if it wasn't famous enough before Tim Tebow, Tim Tebow single-handedly has made this verse famous. Amen? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, what this verse is not talking about is I can win the national championship in college football through Christ who gives me strength. That's really, that, that has nothing to do 
with what Paul's saying here. In many ways, the verse has been taken out of context and used in ways that it, 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 in the context, what he's saying is, I can do all things. I can be in whatever situation that I find myself in. I can do it because Christ is present with me in the situation, giving me his strength and his his power to do it and to live for him in whatever situation. That's what it means to say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It doesn't mean I can, you know, jump over the Sears Tower because, you know, Christ is going to give me strength. No, you're not, it's not going to happen. And certainly, I'm not going to win a national championship in football. Amen? But what I can do is I can say exactly what Paul's saying in, in, in this letter. I can hopefully echo this too. That whatever situation I'm in, I can learn to be abased. I can learn to abound. Now, I'm going to close this tonight with just a, you know, a little bit of a personal testimony. Because I know what it's like to be abased, and I know what it's like to abound. When Mary Jo and I started the church in, in Orlando... Um, she was, she was uh, teaching school, and I had taken a, a position at, I was working for Marriott Hotels, and I was working at a hotel, and I really liked my job because I worked on a golf course at the hotel. And, uh, and so it had some perks, um, but there was a time in our calendar year that it got really tough because teachers aren't paid in the summer. And so summer was tough. It was lean. It was being brought low. And I remember one summer, it was really lean. And we were literally kind of just kind of trying to stretch it out and, and get through the summer and to make it. And, and, you know, there was a couple bills due. There was some things that we needed to do. And, and, and it was like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? But we're trusting in the Lord. We're trusting in the Lord to do it. And I remember that uh, there was a, a famous TV preacher. And I, I'm not going to name any names, but many of you in here would know who I'm talking about if I named the name. Came down the stairs at the Marriott to play golf. And this was for full service golf. This was like where, you know, how can we help you? Here's your clubs. Here's your cart. Here's a towel. Here's a water. You know, it's full service golf. So I, I, I met this guy and I introduced myself and I told him that what we were doing, we were planting a church and all this good stuff and sent him on his way onto the golf course. About two or three days later, I'm at work and I get a call uh, from the front desk at the hotel. Now, th- now, this is a huge hotel. This is a, a, a major resort in Orlando, 2,000 rooms, golf course, nine restaurants, major situation. Get a call from the front desk, from the, from the, from the front desk, and, and it says, we've got, you know, Mr. So-and-so here, and he uh, needs his bag, his golf bag, to be brought up uh, on the ramp, because they're checking out, and he's requested that Charles bring up the bag. And so I was like, okay, all right. So I get the golf clubs and I take them on up to him. 
And uh, he says, thank you very much. Put him in his trunk and everything. And he reaches out to me and he shakes my hand and he, and he put a piece of paper in my hand. He says, you know, that, that, that's, just, that's just for you guys. And I remember putting it in my pocket and saying, thank you, riding the golf cart down back to the golf area. And when I was by myself, I remember looking at it, pulling it out, and it was a check made out to me for $500. And it was that check that basically bridged the gap for us that summer that basically kind of connected the dots. And so I know how it is to be abased. And I know how it is to abound, to abound. In recent years, God has blessed me with starting my own business that has become, that God, God has blessed it. And I'm, 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 in a, I'm in a different situation than I was from that summer looking back. And I can say tonight, I can tell you and I can look every one of you in the eyes and I can, at least in a way, in my own way, I can look at what Paul's saying here and I can say, I maybe understand it from a little, a little bit, a little bit. Not maybe, not maybe to the extent that Paul's saying it, but I can understand it at least a little bit of knowing what it's like Feeling what it's like to, to be abased and to, wow, how, how are we going to make it through this summer? To being blessed and abounding in the provision of God. And so I want to encourage you tonight. It's the secret of contentment. Learning how to trust the Lord, to give him thanks, to look to him, and to see that he's going to bring you through. And he's going to give you the strength to abound or to be abased in whatever state, whatever situation you find yourself in, he's going to give you the strength to do it, to go through it, to walk through it. And you are going to have the testimony to be able to look back and say, I know what it's like to be abound, to, to be abased, and I know what it's like to abound. And you're going to be able to be an example to someone else. You're going to be able to do that. And you're going to be able to say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, I want to end by also saying this. Being content and being thankful is not to say that you don't have ambition in your life. It doesn't, it's not at all to say that you don't have a goal in your life, that you're not working diligently towards the things that God has put in your hand, that using the gifts, the talents, the abilities, the creativity, the imagination, um, and all that that God has blessed you with, that he's given you with, to, to move forward in life and to create a life that he wants to, to be right alongside you in creating in your life and bringing about blessing in your life. That has nothing to do. So I don't want you to listen to this whole message and think the Christian life is somehow about just going around going, woe is me, I'm content. That's to miss the point. That's to miss the point. Being content is learning how to be content, to give thanks, to have your focus on God, to continue to trust in God, whether you've been abased, whether you've been brought low, or whether you're overflowing and abounding 
in the Lord. Amen? Amen. And so that's it. The secret of contentment. It will, it will change. It will revolutionize your life if you get a hold of these truths.